The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I have been seeing a lot of electric bicycles lately. You'll be driving down the road and you see somebody on their bicycle and they are going far faster than you think they should be able to go. Have you noticed these electric bicycles? Folks who are pedaling and they're really cruising along, doing great for themselves. Now, I have nothing against electric bicycles. More power to you. It's a great way to get around. But, but I think that all of us, all of us would agree that if a person riding an electric bicycle decided that because they could go so fast, they really should compete in the Tour de France better than all of the rest of them, they would be dead wrong. Doing the thing while it is easy, riding a bike while you have a motor helping you out, that is completely different than doing the thing while it is hard, on your own steam, with your own legs, with your own power, up and down the hills of France. That's a completely different thing altogether. Just because you can do it when it is easy does not mean that you can do it when it is hard. Here's how that applies today. The rich man loved his brothers. He loved them while he was alive, feasting sumptuously, almost certainly inviting them to his feasts, rejoicing with his family and friends in all of the things that he possessed. He loved his family. He loved them even when he was in hell. Did you notice that? While he was there burning in Hades, he was thinking about his brothers. He loved them. But that does not mean that the rich man had love. After all, he was simply loving those who loved him back. And that's an easy thing to do when you're a rich man. There are lots of people who love you when you're a rich man, lots of people whom it is easy to love back. But what about Lazarus? That poor man sitting outside his gates, that man who would have been hard to love. After all, he was quite unlovable, sickly, stinky, 
a shame, somebody outcast, somebody he wanted nothing to do with. That's what the rich man would have thought about Lazarus. And he did not love him. And that's how you know that the rich man didn't, in fact, possess love. Because although he did it when, he was, when it was easy, although he loved his brothers, he did not truly love because he neglected that poor man. So here's an unpopular truth, something that the world cannot stand, and in fact many Christians really struggle with. Here's an unpopular truth. You can love those who love you all the way to hell. You can love those who love you straight to hell. The rich man thought that these things were completely compatible, that he could love his money, that he could love his brothers, and that he could live forever. But we discover, we discover that the judgment came for him. And that although he had loved his brothers, it did not count for anything in the end. He thought he was doing just fine. And I'm sure that all kinds of people in his life said that he was doing just fine. We're so glad for you that you've got so much stuff and that you share it with the people you love, that you're so close with your family and with your friends. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful life you have been given. You're doing just great. That's what people would have said about the rich man. By all accounts, he was doing just fine. Jesus tells this story so that we can see more clearly what the measure of doing well is. And you can see it as that poor man sits there, outside of the rich man's gate, receiving more charity from the dogs than he received from that man who had plenty to go around, lots to share. You can tell that the rich man was not doing fine. In fact, that he was already, even then, in the grip of hell, because there sat Lazarus, outside of his gate. You can tell whether somebody loves, not based on whether or not they love the people who are easy to love. You can tell based on how they regard their enemies, or those who are unlovable, the lowly and the poor and the despised. The test of love is not how well do you get along with your family and your friends, Not how much are you willing to do for your kids, how much are you willing to sacrifice for your parents, not how much are you willing to give up for the people you hold close in your life, the people you really like. That's not the test of love. It's like being tested in forgiveness and trying to forgive someone who's never sinned against you. That's easy to do, isn't it? Try forgiving someone who has actually sinned against you. That, that is hard. The test is this. Do you love those who do not love you? Do you love those who are unlovable? Do you give to those who cannot repay? Do you lend and expect nothing in return? Do you love those who hate you, who despise you, who think that your love is worthless, who want nothing to do with it? Do you love your enemies? Do you love those who speak evil of you and persecute you? Now, don't get me wrong, it is good. It's good to love those who love you. It's good for the rich man to love his brothers. That's a necessary good. And in fact, there's a special kind of evil that really is loving the, failing to love those who love you, despising your family and your friends. That's especially evil. But the problem with loving those who love you is that it also looks very good. It's not just that it feels good, but it looks good. And this is what Jesus is after as he tells this story. He's telling this story to all kinds of people who were lovers of money. They loved their wealth, and they loved doing things that looked good in the eyes of the world. They wanted to justify themselves before men. 
and they failed to recognize that God looks on the heart. Jesus says that the things that are exalted among men, the things that people value and treasure in this world, including treating your family and your friends very, very well and holding them close, Jesus says that that is an abomination in the eyes of God. When it is a fraudulent love, when it just looks like love, when it's not selfless, when it's not self-giving, but when it is self-aggrandizing, when it is selfish, then it is an abomination in the eyes of God. Selfish love only gives good things to those whom it likes, those who are lovable. Selfless love, true love, is something completely different. Now, this is a terrible story that Jesus tells, and I hope the tragedy strikes you. There he sits, just hoping for a drop of water to cool his tongue, that rich man. And there he is, locked in hell for all of eternity, doing exactly what he did his whole life long, loving those who loved him. He's concerned about his brothers as he sits there in Hades, not one moment thinking about poor Lazarus and how he had neglected him. Not one moment thinking about how gracious God had been to him his whole life long and how he should have given him thanks and praise. There he is, locked in hell for all eternity, doing exactly what he did his whole life long. And it is tragic. And we should take that warning to heart. Jesus wants to give you something better. And in fact, he does. So if that's an unpopular truth, that you can love those who love you straight to hell, here is a glorious truth. It is that God loves those who do not love him. That God loves the unlovable. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages because it lays things out so clearly. Here's what he says. While we were still weak, that is like the time while we were like Lazarus, unable to help ourselves. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not love people who are lovely or lovable, God does not love those who are high and exalted and who do well for themselves. God does not help those who help themselves. God loves the unlovable. He helps the helpless. He shows mercy to those who need it most of all. He lifts up the lowly. He exalts the humble. He raises the dead. That is how God loves. He gives grace and forgiveness to sinners And sinners who are sinners through and through, not the kinds of sinners that are popular in this world, people who kind of gloat about their sins or laugh it off or treat it as though it's no big deal, but sinners through and through, sinners without any excuse, excuse. sinners who have been caught red-handed, who know what is in store for them. Those are the kinds of sinners for whom Christ died. Now, it is essential, it's essential that we be honest about how strange this is. The idea that love should be for the unlovable, that is completely foreign in our world. So the example I had in mind is that it's like, it's like the whole world is accustomed to eating bananas the wrong way. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever tried this, try eating a banana peel, it's awful. Don't do it. I don't recommend it. 
But imagine that the whole world, all through time, had been eating bananas the wrong way, eating the banana peel instead of eating what you're supposed to eat, what's on the inside of the banana. That's what has been going on in our world, loving only the lovable, loving only those who are lovely. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, you've been doing it all wrong. Look at this. There's something far better in store. And you would think if you would just try it, you would find out that the meat of the banana is far better than the peel. But you know how hard it is, how strange it is, how unwelcome it is to hear that you've been doing something all wrong. No, I think I'll just keep doing it my way. And you never discover how much better it is. But that really is how strange it is that God loves the world in this way. It's unimaginable. No one else, no one else loves in this way. God is the first to do it. It's a striking thing, and it makes sense of why the world has such a hard time with the gospel. It is incomprehensible. The only way to learn it, the only way to believe it, is if you have received it. The only way you can understand the goodness of this kind of love, that loves the unlovable, that shows mercy to those who do not deserve it, the only way you can understand that is if you yourself have received it. That is to say, if you yourself have reckoned with just how grievous your sins are, how much you have heaped on your Heavenly Father by your sins against Him, how much you have broken His law, how much you have loved yourself, how much more than you have loved others, how much you have put yourself first. It's only by reckoning with that and then seeing Jesus on the cross pouring out His blood for you that you can begin to understand the goodness of this love. A love that does not love based on what others can do for you or what they have already done for you or what they might give you, but loves simply because it is good. And its goodness is seen in the love of Jesus for you. Take this away from our lesson today, that we have a lot of work to do in learning this kind of love. It is completely foreign to our experience. We, like everyone else in this world by nature, would look at a man who loves his brothers, his family, his friends, who loves those who are close to him, and say, that guy's doing, that guy's doing just fine. He's doing great. But we have something better to learn. Take a cue from God's love for you. He does not wait. He does not wait for you to become likable or good or righteous. But he gave up his son for you while you were still his enemies. This is the kind of love that Jesus wants you to practice. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 about who you should love and how you should love them. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, 
and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That is a hard lesson to learn, impossible in fact. Start by receiving God's love and mercy for you. Own your sins, confess them, and be forgiven. Do not hold anything back and recognize God's boundless love for you, and then try. Try loving those who cannot love you back. Now, don't expect that it will be easy, and don't expect that you will all of a sudden, just because you've been forgiven, find everybody to be likable. In fact, it is quite to the contrary. People do not become more lovely just because you've been forgiven. But try loving them, and you will see you will see how things change. You will see that just because you love them, they actually begin to become lovely. That's how it is with God's love. He loves you. He pours out his love and forgiveness on you, and you begin to live righteously, to live holy lives, to be sanctified, to become more and more like him. Just see how if you love those who are unlovable, they begin to become lovely. That's exactly what God wants for us and for our neighbors. This is the power that he has given to you in his love that he's poured out on you. What a blessing it is. What a transformative thing it is. This is the light that the world needs. The world doesn't know it needs it, but it needs it so desperately. What a glorious thing. And when it is difficult and when you fail, you know what to do. Return always again here, time after time, to be forgiven again, to be empowered again, to be filled again with the boundless love of God for you in Christ Jesus. To him alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.